We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Starting a new uh, lesson today, making hard choices. Uh, but before we actually get into the lesson, one more bit of housekeeping. Uh, the first one on the form that I showed you earlier, I want to give you some context around that. Um, I've been saying that this year our community is going to be focusing on our children and on our teenagers. Uh, we have Shelby, which is huge. Um, but because we were being squeezed out of our kids' space and because we had the, all the time pressure of finding a, a place to move, Shelby's not been really able to do all the things that she dreams of doing, that she's capable of doing. And I tell you, this woman is extraordinarily capable. So this year, we're focusing on helping Shelby organize us so that we can all work together toward the well-being of our children and our teens. Uh, part of that is I talked to the board in the last uh, month or so uh, about getting this budget, this year's budget ready, and I asked them to prioritize Shelby's request that uh, <coughs> we uh, fund some of the things that she's asking for. <coughs> we always try, whenever it's possible, to meet our community's needs around a core principle, and that principle is community-owned community, which means whenever we can, we work with volunteers. But there are times when, in order to, uh, for, for the community to be healthy over the long haul, we need consistency over time. And sometimes consistency over time isn't possible for volunteers. So we have found oh, through the years that a small stipend, like thank you money kinds of stipend, helps with the consistency. So the board approved uh, $50 a Sunday for three team leaders, for our nursery, for our preschool, and for our elementary. So each... Uh, team leader is going to need a volunteer helper in the room. That's going to be us. We will do that. We will be the volunteers. But today, the ask is, do you know somebody? Uh, you might have heard out there that it's kind of challenging these, day, these days to hire folks. Uh, so it's difficult to find people. So we're looking for folks that uh, we could ask. So if you know somebody, could you please click that first box? So if you'd be thinking about teachers or thinking about that's not there. Yeah, that one. That's where you go. <laughs> uh, if you know uh, college kids who are studying uh, child development or uh, want to be working with teenagers or kids or think people that you know from the YMCA or through the Boys and Girls Club, people who love kids. Now, Shelby will help them understand the culture and the community of Common Thread and how we work around spiritual themes, uh, but we want to start with people who love kids. So please click that first box, and um, Shelby will contact you to follow up with their contact information. Also, for those of us who have kids, odds are that if we do nothing, those children will eventually find their way up here and find us. <laughs> But maybe you could go get them. Because if you do that, 
you can check out how things are going down there. And I think it's important for us as a community to, ha to know how things are going down there, to get a feel for what's happening with the kids, to talk with Shelby, to talk with the class leaders, to find out what the kids did, find out what they learned, uh, maybe find out what the group needs, because maybe you would be part of how we would meet that need. After that, then you can come up here, socialize, and we will just normalize letting the kids run around in here. Uh, when it gets warmer, we'll let them run around outside. Uh, so this year... Our children and our teens focus is an everybody focus, but today, do you know somebody? Because we would like to talk to some somebodies. All right. Okay, I alluded to the beginning of this lesson last Sunday at the beginning when I warned us to be on guard against burnout. Also, we just finished uh, uh, our New Year's lesson, which we do around the same theme every year, teach us to number our days that we may gain hearts of wisdom. It's an annual returning to examining our lives so that we live intentionally because you and I, we live inside of brains that are prone to drift. The text said last in that last lesson that we have such short, short lives, we really want to live them well. Teach us to number our days. So this lesson that we begin today follows on the theme of the last two weeks because making hard choices is part of this returning to rhythm, coming back to examining our lives, coming back to living and thinking about living intentionally. In our better self moments, we want to make the hard choices. In our better self moments, we want to make the who I'm going to be three years from now kinds of choices. And most of the time, we do not intentionally not make the hard choices. Most of the time, we just drift away from them. Most of the time, we get carried by some current of life, usually a current that we don't even see, and we drift. So this is a lesson on the currents that pull us into the drift. So when we finish, we're going to talk about these uh, questions. Uh, I'll put them up now to give you some time to be thinking. I'm going to describe a couple of American cultural themes. And I want you to be thinking, do you, being an American, ever get pulled by, have you ever been pulled by the productivity culture current, the no limit culture current? You're going to hear about those in a minute. You'll also hear how most Americans do ignore some limit or another. So be thinking, how about you? What comes to mind? Is there a limit that you have tended to ignore? So that way you can be thinking as the lesson goes on, I want to introduce you, if you don't know, to Richard Scarry. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Scarry wrote children's books that were popular when I was a child. I was sev several years older than my stepbrothers, so I used to read to them, and these are the books that I used to read to them. Busy, busy town, busy, busy people, what do people do all day? Now, they've had enough staying power. You might know these books as well, but there's lots of pictures of bunnies and pictures of bears and cats and pigs, and they're all doing stuff. They're doing, doing, doing. They're busy, 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 and they're all smiling while they do it. 
They're all content and they look fulfilled and they look peaceful. Nobody in Richard Scarry's busy, busy town is idle, but there is on everybody's face a clear sense that their work is not harrying them. <clears throat> they are not exhausted. What's the thing? Yeah, we can. Is that going to make it easier? Yeah, we need an electrician. <laughs> Anyway, these uh, characters are not exhausted. They're not overly tired. They're not overly worked. They have found that magical Goldilocks space, and you're going to hear this phrase several times today, enough to do and enough time to do it. You hear me say that phrase a lot, enough to do and enough time to do it. And the reason you hear me say that phrase is because I heard that phrase. And I heard that phrase probably 30 years ago. Now, I've heard a lot of things in the last 30 years, and most of them I do not repeat again and again and again like I do enough to do and enough time to do it. But when I heard that phrase, it profoundly impacted me because it caught me at the, year, at, at the end of several years of too much to do and not enough time to do it. And it caught me burned out, and it caught me depressed, and it caught me at a time when I was withdrawing from the things that are actually my deepest passions because I had been burned out. It caught me at a time where I was just crawling into the hole, into a hole and pulling the hole in over me and letting my passions go and letting my purpose go. Because if we go long enough with not enough to do, if we go long enough with not enough time to do it, it will harm us and I was harmed. So hearing that phrase, it sounded to me like a mythical, magical place that mythical, magical people live in, and I wanted it. In fact, when I heard that phrase, I turned my life. It was impacting enough that I began a lifelong pursuit of the Elysian fields of enough to do and enough time to do it. I wanted to live in busy, busy town. I wanted to do enough to have a meaningful life, but not so much that I kept harming myself. Now, in our ancient texts, the good life is described as a balance between diligence. We have a whole section of our texts called wisdom literature. And throughout the wisdom literature, there are lots of affirmations and encouragements to lives of diligence, especially if you read the book of Proverbs. But that uh, desire, that uh, direction is balanced with the desire for rest. Diligence and rest are intention. If you look for the theme rest in our texts, you will see that shot through everything from Sabbath rest in the Jewish scriptures to the teachings of Jesus to the early Christian writers, especially the book of Hebrews that actually adds mystical reality around that theme of rest. Enough to do and enough time to do it. You, if, if you've been here for a while, you've also seen me put up this slide several times, this quote, because it too found me at a time that I deeply needed it. It is enough, Merton says, to be in ordinary human mode, it is enough. It is enough to be with our hunger and to be with our sleep and to be with cold and warmth, to be with rising and going to bed. It is enough. It is enough 
blankets and making coffee and drinking coffee and defrosting the refrigerator and reading and meditating and working and praying and living as those gone before us have lived on this earth until eventually we die, it is enough. Now, maybe for you too, the contented animals in Busy Busy Town and the it is enough life that Merton describes touches a deep longing, a deep hunger, a deep desire. Now, if we heed the spiritual tradition, it turns out that that deep desire that those ideas touch, they are inside us because we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. That desire is in there coming from our divine centers. Now, <clears throat> making hard choices becomes difficult many times because we shush that interior voice. We have a pattern of, a habit of, we have cultural currents that pull us toward shushing the inner divine. So that Elysium paradise, it is enough. That paradise eludes us because there are strong currents. And those currents constantly pull us away from the quiet wisdom of the divine center. So today I want to think about the currents. What are these themes that regularly pull us away from the deeper desires of our hearts? Under the heading, forewarned is forearmed. If we know what it is that's going to be impacting us, we can begin to prepare ourselves for that impact. Well, I said in the Thursday email that the currents that pull, pull us are often the currents of the culture that we live in. So for us, we're going to be looking at some Amer American cultural currents. If we lived in Peru, we would be looking at Peruvian currents. If we lived in Estonia, we would be looking at Estonian currents. But one of our currents, our American cultural currents, is our shared sense that our nation's experience has been remarkable. Now there is good reason why we have that shared sense. Our founding documents, remarkable. This American experiment, remarkable. Our break from a society that is dominated by a national religion, our break from the European model of class stratification in the late 1700s, those ideas were remarkable. And our economic history has been remarkable. We've had a long, long string of generations, each more economically advantaged than the last. Uh, we won World War II with our unprecedented, unparalleled capacity for manufacturing. We outspent the Soviet Union with the Strategic Defense Initiative, brought down the wall, remarkable ideas, remarkable economy, remarkable experience, remarkable history. And when things are remarkable, it is very tempting to not look very hard for blind spots. Because when things are remarkable, we don't realize that those blind spots are impacting us. So for a lot of our nation's history, we haven't looked very hard. For a lot of our nation's history, we haven't looked very hard to find out what our blind spots are, partly because things have been remarkable 
for much of our history. Now, maybe we've been looking more so the last few generations because things have gotten tougher in our nation, but it doesn't serve people well to not explore our blind spots. Just because we don't see them doesn't mean that we aren't blind to them. Just because we don't see them or explore them or look at them doesn't mean that they're not in there and that they're not negatively impacting our lives because they are. So, let's look. Let's assess. Let's get to know what our blind spots are. Because they are adversaries of our souls. And religion's job is to reference a wisdom that is deeper than culture and bring that wisdom to bear on the culture, and then to explore our blind spots together and to improve our lives. So it's going to be less so in today's introductory lesson, but much for the whole of this lesson that we're going to be drawing from the wisdom of our religious tradition, from other religious traditions, to look at our culture's blind spots. Here's the first. Now, it is for... Uh, for sure, a global blind spot. But it is particularly pronounced in our American culture, and it is this. We try to fit more into our lives than can possibly fit into a human life. We try and fit more into our lives than can possibly fit into a human life. And that's true for rich Americans and for poor Americans. Now, rich and poor Americans do it for different stated reasons, but we do it. It's true for different personality types, for different stated reasons, different personalities, but we do it. Red folks and blue folks and white and black and brown folks, we have a shared American tendency to be blinded to this foible. We try to fit more into our lives than possibly can fit into a human life. Now there's a reason why we all tend to fall into this pit, and the reason is culture. Now, different groups within our nations will have blind spots to differing degrees, but it's fair to say everybody gets a fair share of the blind spot. Partly because many of our nation's smartest people go to work every day devising more and more clever ways to get you and to get me to jam more stuff into our days. Now, they're not bad people. They're just people living from the same cultural assumptions that we live from. They share the same assumptions about the way things are. They think the way that we think. They think that what makes the good life is the same thing that we think is what makes the good life. They think this is what makes good people good, just like we think this is what makes good people good. They have a story, which turns out is also our story. So what's the story? <clears throat> what's the story that makes us accept the message to put too much into our human lives than human lives can sustain? Because here's what we don't do when those messages come at us. We don't laugh at them. Here's what we don't do when those messages come at us. We don't roll our eyes and we don't dismiss them. We think, huh, maybe they're right. We think, huh, maybe I should do that thing. We think, maybe I should buy that or join that or finish that or sign up for that. We think, yeah, that's what good people do. Oh, we think, oh, yeah, that'll make me happy. 
We think, oh yeah, that'll scratch this itch that I've got. We believe them because they live in the same culture that we do. They drink the same water that we drink. So, a few of the unspoken American assumptions, unquestioned givens, unseen instincts. One of them is central to the American too much blind spot is that we are a productive people. We are a productive people. We live in a productivity culture. We, uh, <laughs> all right, it's too I figured it out. If there's too much white on the screen, it's going to blow the thing up. All right, so get that in your head. You see it? There's a productivity wheel. There's all the nations, uh, all the nations there, you know, productivity. All right? We can do that? All right. Don't blow the place up. (laughs) So we live in this productivity culture in which our worth, we feel it, our worth is tied to how productive we are. Are we doing Are we making? Are we producing? Now, you've probably heard the phrase, if you can measure it, you can manage it. Well, we measure productivity. In my news feed, I see the reports all the time. You may as well. The most recent productivity numbers for the American worker, our most recent trend lines of productivity, how we did before the pandemic, how we did during the pandemic, how we've been doing since the pandemic, how working at home affects our productivity, how quiet quitting is affecting productivity, activity. Should we go back to the office? And if so, should we go back all the time? Should we go back some of the time? Should we go back never? And each decision is is assessed on the basis of how much productivity will we get if we do this, or if we do this, or if we do this. We are a productivity culture. One insight that we've had in our society recently is that we only measure paid productivity. Consequently, elder care and raising children and creating homes and supporting schools, investing in spiritual communities, they are productive, but because they don't produce pay for a long time, we haven't felt like they counted. Consequently, fewer and fewer people have been doing those things because fewer and fewer people have thought they counted. And so we started to look up along the way and realize, whoa, those things do matter because when they're gone, this is very, very painful. So you may be hearing the emerging conversation in our society like I am to reassess how we measure productivity and again the construct we bring to that discussion the construct by which we measure value or the goodness of a thing productivity how productive are we we're a productivity culture productivity is the metric by which we measure our value and our goodness It is not, by the way, the way the spiritual tradition measures value and goodness. But value and goodness are pretty intangible intangibles. It's hard to know when we value enough. It's hard to know when we goodness enough. When have you produced enough to be good? When have you produced enough to be valuable? Consequently, it's difficult for a lot of Americans to know when we have produced enough to be good or when we have produced enough to be valuable. And consequently, lots and lots and lots of Americans cross the line from enough to too much. Too much producing, too much doing, more that can reasonably fit into one human life. And not surprisingly, settled and peaceful 
busy, busy lives without harming ourselves becomes kind of elusive for a lot of Americans. We don't, as a people, tend to wrestle with the question of enough. What is enough? What's enough productivity? What's enough doing? What's enough meeting of people's expectations? What's enough for retirement? What's enough pay? What's enough recognition? What's enough achievement? What is enough? So, yep, we're a productivity culture. Well, that's been great for us. It really has in lots and lots and lots of ways. And it's been bad for us in other ways. A productivity culture means we have productivity blind spots. Blind spots that we would be well served to explore. Questions that we tend to not ask that we would be well served to ask. Especially around that question we don't ask enough. What is enough? So that's my invitation this week for us to be thinking. Maybe you could put up a discussion in chat group. Maybe you could uh, find time to go for coffee with one another and let's just have this discussion. How does our productivity culture impact you? What blind spots does productivity culture create? How do those blind spots cause harm? What kind of harm? Because again, forewarned is forearmed. If we know what's going on to us, we know how to adapt in response. Here's the other uh, plank in our culture's platform. It's the no limits plank. I put that term no limits into an image search and I brought up a bunch of companies. I could have put up more, I just ran out of room on the slide. <laughs> People go to work each day to provide for you and to provide for me products and services and to help of them persuade us that we should choose their product or their service. They tell us that if we choose them, we will be choosing an ethos of no limits. Feel good about eating at our cafe. We are a no limits kind of cafe. Feel good about sending your kids to our camp. We will fill them up with the no limits mindset. Feel good about our construction. We will build you a house that is a no limits kind of house. <laughs> So feel good about our clothing line or our record label or our car racing team or us building a fence in your backyard. Feel good about it because you're a good American and if you buy our product, you will be a no limits kind of person. Now, you're probably like me. You probably have positive associations in your mind around that, that phrase, no limits. I do. I like the idea of being a no limits kind of person. It's in our guts. It's in our history. We landed on Plymouth Rock and we looked west. And it appeared to us that west would never end. We would just keep going and going and going. An expansive continent, a new world that would never end. Now we live, we thought to ourselves, in a world without limits. Now, of course, it wasn't true. There were already people here. We eventually would hit another ocean. Sure enough, there would be limits. But... It was hard to see that, and so for the 300 years that we were imprinting American culture, we labored under the illusion that we actually lived in a no-limits world. And consequently, the concept of life lived without limits was imprinted into our cultural DNA. 
In Europe in the 1800s, the son of a shoemaker could never become a CEO, but in America, sure enough, that could happen. No limits. Also, only partly true, we don't have the social mobility that our story tells us we have. There are 27 other nations who have more social mobility than we do. More people born poor there are able to move up the economic ladder than are here, but that was hard to see for the first 300 years in which we were imprinting our cultural, our belie- our cultural beliefs about ourselves. So now it's in there. It's a shared story that's seared into us. It's unspoken most of the time, unseen most of the time. It's part of our narrative. We can live no limits. So much so, we'll sell you some clothes that'll make you feel like you can live with no limits. In fact, the good life is the no limits life. So don't be limited by limits. You're an American. (laughs) So, We've become a limit-denying culture. No limits is part of our unspoken genetic DNA. Here's the thing about both productivity and no limits when it comes to defining stories. They're only partly true. They're a little bit true in this context and a little bit true seen from this perspective. But we've made them into cultural givens Stories we tell ourselves about ourselves that we don't even see core narratives. And those kinds of stories exist unseen. Those kinds of stories generate assumptions that we don't say out loud with our mouths. Those kinds of stories generate unquestions givens. So we don't assess, is it true here or is it true now? We just go with the story. And so that will generate blind spots. And when we function in a world with blind spots, we do bump into stuff and we do fall into pitfalls and we lose enough to do and enough time to do it. We lose pressure-free doing. We lose anxiety-free doing. We lose the kind of busyness that the animals live in busy, busy town. Our busyness exhausts us. Our busyness wears us down. Too much, too much, too much. And we lose the simplicity of it is enough. We lose settled peacefulness. We lose non-anxious doing. We lose non-striving living. We lose the contentedness that being human is enough the contentedness that comes with enoughness. And it is enough to eat and sleep, be warm and cold, go to bed and wake up, make coffee and drink at work and meditate, live as our ancestors lived on the earth. Now, a lot of folks, for a brief moment during the pandemic, realized how good it felt to be able to do their job and have time to do the laundry do their job, and be able to plan dinner before it rolled around at 6 o'clock. But culture is powerful. Because again, maybe your news feed, like mine, is hosting the same national conversation mine is. We've got to stop this quiet quitting. We've got to get back to productivity. 
We've got to keep resisting limits. Come on, we're good Americans. Now next week we'll talk about what the spiritual tradition has to say about our American blind spots. But this, but this week, I hope that you will, that we will, simply look for. Look for what normally we don't look for. The hidden assumptions that go with our core cultural narratives. Let's look for ways in which our value is measured by our productivity. Let's look for times in which no limits informs our thinking about ourselves. Let's just look this week. See if maybe we can see. Keeping in mind that those assumptions that so many Americans carry around, they're not true true. They're just partly true. But they are deeply American. And so in Dwelling Divine, lives of peace, that's really what our desire is. Lives of contentedness. Lives that really live within the limits of human reality. Human limits. Lives lived that are enough. May that be in us. Amen. So uh, let's get out our phones because uh, we all give online now. And look at that. We can even use the QR code there. By the way, QR, you, I had to look it up. QR means quick response. So look, you can have a quick response. <laughs> or you can thumb type it. If you'd like to thumb type it, the donate button is at the top of our website, commonthreadchurch.org. Lots of options, lots of ways to give. If you're here in Raleigh, uh, if you're joining us remotely and you live far away, we invite everyone to take an ownership stake in the community. Right now, our monies are going to help us, you know, finish. <laughs> it's going to go to an electrician pretty soon, as soon as we get going out here. <laughs> You've heard this year that our focus is going to go toward developing our children and our teens groups. And remember what I always say, there is good return when we invest in spiritual community. We give our time and our energy and our love and our dollars. We give them to the spiritual community. The spiritual community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive, in which we change, in which we grow, in which we become better human beings. So uh, we all give on our website now. Uh, it's about as easy as can be. Go there. So uh, in a minute, uh, we're going to dismiss those of you on the live stream. Uh, here in the room, we're going to do, what are you thinking? Uh, this is one of the best parts of our community's life. It's where we internalize all these words that I've just been saying up here. How it's where we figure out together how to make application of those in our own lives. Now for us, participation is easy. All we have to do is not walk out of the room. But for you, you're going to have to take a step. You're going to have to click on the link. It's right there in the YouTube notes. Uh, you're going to have to join the Zoom wondering as you do if these people are going to be nice to you. <laughs> well, here's our promise. We're going to be nice to you. I've checked with all the people who are hosting the group. They're nice people. They're going to be nice to you. <laughs> and they're going to let you just look for a while and watch and observe if you want to or jump in day one if you want to. Uh, so for most folks, after the 20 minutes, that's usually how long they last. When the Zoom ends, they're going to feel a lot less new, and it turns out that human beings are actually wired for these kinds of conversations. So we have found it worth working through the resistance. We hope you will too. Again, the link's in the uh, YouTube notes and the password. Get ready for it. Here it is. 1417. 1417. If you forget that, the building we used to be in was called Temple Baptist Church in Raleigh. It's the first four numbers of their street address. We haven't updated the passcode now that we have a different building. <laughs> so.
1417, you'll find the link on the uh, YouTube. It's also on our front page of our website. Let's dismiss the folks online. If you would, put your hand on your heart and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. We are, every one of us, carriers of that interior light. The inner wisdom and joy and peace and patience and understanding, those things are in us because we carry the divine light within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already inside of us with the people that we live and work, go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and to heal our worlds. Amen. God's blessing on you all. You are dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.